You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Lumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and with me today is Dr. Eugenia Gianos. She's assistant professor in the Department of Medicine and co-clinical director of the Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease at NYU School of Medicine. By the way, we are broadcasting live from the Clinical Lipid Update of the National Lipid Association in Amelia Island, Florida, and that's why you may hear a little noise in the background. There's a lot of excitement here. So, Dr. Gianos, thank you very much for joining us today on Lipid Luminations. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. So I understand you're going to be giving a presentation a little bit later in the meeting about PCSK9 antibodies and talking about their efficacy, their safety, and some of their non-lipid effects. So I'd like to ask you to give our listeners who may not have the privilege of coming to the meeting a little bit of uh, background on your experience with PCSK9 antibodies and uh, tell us a little bit about what you're going to present at your presentation. As part of my job at uh, NYU, I do a lot of uh, lipid management in my personal clinic, and we have a preventive cardiology fellowship as well, and Jamie Underberg leads our Bellevue Lipid Clinic as well. So we have a lot of experience with patients with severe cholesterol disorders, aside from patients with advanced uh, cardiovascular disease who really don't get to go on uh, standard therapy. So in the past several years, both through clinical trials that we're part of, as well as now that the drugs are on the market, we're getting more and more experience with these drugs and learning more about how we can use them most effectively. So as you know, there's been lots of press about the PCSK9 antibodies, including a lot of discussion about their relative value versus their relative benefits, uh, much of which, in my opinion, is based on data that's not necessarily accurate. But with that said, maybe you can start by telling us uh, a little bit about the effectiveness of the medications in your hands and... uh, some of the things you're going to cover in your talk later. Effectiveness is something that I think we just can't argue. They're extremely effective with respect to LDL lowering, up to 60% LDL lowering in many cases. They also happen to lower triglycerides by about 30%, lower LPA, another atherogenic lipoprotein, which is lowered more than 20%, and raise your HDL a little bit as well. So they have a number of lipid-altering effects, all of which should, in theory, prove to be beneficial in an outcome standpoint if, in fact, we view them as surrogate markers. So with respect to efficacy, I think they're extremely effective. One of the things that I found out in researching this talk is that there are actually other receptors that PCSK9 affects that we don't know as much about, and and those receptors are still being looked into, non-lipid sort of mediated things that regulate hep C, that have to do with glucose metabolism, fatty acid metabolism, fatty liver, etc., many of which are still being investigated. It's very interesting that you bring up glucose metabolism because obviously Initially, the statin effect on blood sugar was thought to possibly be related to LDL receptors. Now I think they've moved away from that. But at least in the basic research on PCSK9 antibodies, they didn't see a signal for glucose abnormalities. I wonder in your research whether you've found that also or if there's some data that I don't know about. Actually, you know, in terms of the trials that have been done to date, they're all pretty short-term, predominantly safety trials that the adverse events in those trials are very low, you know, really impressive compared to 
placebo and Zetia very similar in terms of adverse events, and I don't think there's been a signal for abnormal glucose levels. The other receptor data that I was mentioning is really through just receptors that are different than the lipid ones, and it's really through animal research. There's really not that much in humans that's available about that. And it's interesting how many organs you find PCS canine, but it doesn't seem to do anything in other organs. It's still very curious why we evolved the PCSK9 protein. And it, right. No, absolutely. And also what triggers it and what makes it regulate our cholesterol levels. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's really fascinating. For our listeners who are not lipidologists, and believe it or not, most of our audience are uh, physicians of a broad range of specialties, but many are not lipidologists. Why don't you give us your insight on what type of patient you might pull out of PCSK9 and use because I think there's been an understandable nervousness by the average physician because, number one, they hear it's expensive. Number two, it's an injectable, which a lot of doctors are uncomfortable with. And then number three, the noise about which types of patients are appropriate. For Absolutely. It. And I think this we're sort of adapting as we go along and learning who is really ideal for the drug. And as we have more outcomes trials too, we'll probably rethink it again. It's undoubtedly people with familial hyperlipidemia. Heterozygous respond very well. Even some homozygotes, even though they lack LDL receptors more so. Some do have a decent response to it, so you can use it in those patients. And then patients with atherosclerosis who are at high risk, who really aren't at goal on diet and medical therapy, really. And in those cases, I think we have to be very responsible that we choose the right patients. If they're almost at goal and they could try another therapy or improve their lifestyle, certainly I think those are things that should be addressed first. But if they're having recurrent events and really are far from goal, then it's important to consider. And the reason to be cautious, I think, is because we do not know the long-term effects at this point. They have tremendous promise. And I think that for the people who are at high risk, this is the best thing we can give them and we should absolutely advocate for it, but to be cautious in the patients who really don't quite meet full criteria. Yes, my parents were both old-time general practitioners and they always said never be the first or the last to try something new, which I think was wisdom for many years of practice. In this case, the safety profile looks pretty impressive, right? And uh, so there's a lot of discussion about cost and value. And most of those discussions are based on a retail price of $14,300 a year. The information I get is that most pharmacies are actually not paying that much. They're paying somewhere between six and 9000 but it's a little obtuse. Nobody tells you exactly what they're paying for. Right. What do you think about the outcome data in terms of trying to sort out the cost-effectiveness of these relatively expensive medications? I think that it'll be very useful, and again, because of the mixed effects of PCSK9, there's a small question of whether through other effects on inflammation or other receptors, etc., will the LDL lowering entirely translate into outcomes or get affected by the mixed effects, etc. But I do expect that there'll be tremendous outcomes benefits and maybe further justify the use of the medications, if anything. Apparently, this recent JAMA article reviewed the cost at this point, and it's something like 500000 per year, where about 100000 quality-adjusted life years is really what would be cost effective. So they're based on 2015 expenditure, it seems like they may not be cost effective. But Yeah, that was an interesting article. They, they made some assumptions that, number one, that a cost was $14,300. Right. And then they made what I think was a clever assumption that the amount of events that were saved would be based on the 
exact amount of LDL lowering based on prior studies with statin. So they probably overstated what the actual price is. On the other hand, my guess, and I, I'd be curious on your thoughts, is once we see the outcome studies, hopefully before middle of next year, we'll be able to sort out which patients are the highest risk and where it might be cost-effective versus those who have some elevated LDL, but their risk may not justify the expense of the therapy. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I have people who really have heterozygous FH, have had several surgeries, stents, every year or two. And for those patients, anything we can do to stop that process is key. Whereas the person who is somewhat intolerant to statins, that maybe we can try different things with and really get them to tolerate a better dose or try other therapies, work more, you know, perhaps that's not the person who we should be spending these healthcare dollars on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth making the efforts we've made for years to yeah, does that in my bad bowel acid Absolutely. resins? Tried multiple statins to make yes. sure, right, when a patient is statin intolerant. Absolutely. They're tried, true, safe methods that we should absolutely exhaust those, I agree. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and with me today is Dr. Eugenia Giannis, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine at NYU School of Medicine. So one thing we didn't talk about too much was the safety data, and from the standpoint of efficacy, the percent reduction of LDL with these drugs. I wonder if you can comment on that. Mm -hmm. Comment whether the baseline therapy that the patient is on has any effect on the efficacy of the drugs. They are extremely effective and when coupled with a statin actually, you know, statins, although they decrease the production of LDL and increase LDL receptors, normally they actually increase PCSK9 indirectly through a feedback loop. So by then targeting that, coupling it with the statin, it's actually pretty effective. And they've been shown to, to reduce your LDL by 50 to 60 percent on top of a statin, which is extremely impressive. And one of the issues that some physicians, I think, are coming across is whether there is a number that's too low, because these have such a tremendous effect that we're coming up with LDL levels between 1 and 30 that physicians are sort of not so sure if they should be comfortable with those low levels as well. For the most part, populations that have PCSK9 downregulation that are genetically have that disorder do well in the long term and there aren't really safety concerns, but is lowering it iatrogenically really going to have the same effects or could there be other long-term effects? So far from the statin data, from other cholesterol data trials, there really hasn't been a signal in reviewing all those for hemorrhagic stroke, which was a concern, cancer risk, other things. But again, we really haven't gotten them to these really low levels on a, a large level. So, Yeah, we certainly don't have 10-year data to look at at this point. It's interesting, as you pointed out, though, the people with a knockout mutation of their PCSK9, where genetics did the, the experiment for us, yeah. are walking around with the 12, 14, 17 LDLs, for, and they're in their 50s. Right. It looks like they're healthy, so that's encouraging. Exactly, right? exactly. That's what we expect. Granted, same thing with the HDL. People with high HDL seem to be protected, although that's still a mixed controversy, but does raising HDL through therapy, this is now a, a bit controversial between anisotropib and other niacin data, et cetera, things that are targeting that are they improving outcomes is the question. We really don't know. How you get there is important. <laughs> it seems that way. It yeah. seems that way. So we didn't talk much about side effects. So we've covered effectiveness, 50 to 60% LDL reduction. We touched on, though we didn't really go into the fact that no matter what the baseline therapy is, even on max dose statin, 
statins or statins plus other agents like azetamide or bile acid resins, there still seems to be an incremental 50 to 60% right. additional lowering, which is right. interesting, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you'd sort it's of think maybe you've already upregulated all the LDL receptors, but there must be enough fluff in the system that you can still get that extra 50 to 60%, right, which right. is encouraging. And we realize that we don't have outcome data yet, as you pointed out, and hopefully that'll come out in the next year or so. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the downsides and what docs have to worry about when they use these medicines? On a whole, they really are well tolerated in terms of safety and adverse events. The most common things are injection site reactions, maybe some flu-like type symptoms in the beginning. And having administered these to a number of my patients who've taken multiple other drugs prior to this, they really seem to tolerate them very well. Having said that, I did have one patient who did have a hypersensitivity type reaction, and it was actually a type 4 reaction where she had a delayed response where she first got a rash distal and then at the injection site and then systemic symptoms, etc. And she can't be on the drug. And, and I mean, so with these, they are monoclonal antibodies. They are fully human, so they're less likely to create a reaction or have immunogenic potential. But there is a potential to have an immediate hypersensitivity reaction or any of the type 1 through type 4. So we should be aware of that. But other monoclonal antibodies that are used for rheumatoid arthritis, for cancer, for everything in the long term, seem to have very good overall safety profiles. They do have increased adverse events in terms of minor things, but their serious adverse events are very low. And those have been, you know, around for 10 to 20 years. And overall, they've done very well for patients. Thank you very much for a brief but very thorough review of the PCSK9 antibodies and a review of the types of patients we should use them in, their effectiveness, and some of the potential side effects. Absolutely. I really appreciate you being here today. It's a pleasure. No problem. You've been listening to Lipid Luminations, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. Visit ReachMD.com slash lipids, where you can listen to this podcast and others in the series. And please make sure to leave your comments there. We welcome your feedback. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown for ReachMD. And thank you so much for listening to our show today. Thank you, Dr. Giannis.